My brothers and sisters, good afternoon. Our scripture reading will be taken from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Let's read the familiar story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't it the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell long at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, Finding her body dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all those who heard about these events. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. Let your glory fill this place. Cover me as I deliver your word to your people today. Use me, Lord, this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's sermon will be titled, Removing the Mask in Church. Today we are going to talk about genuine Christianity. The scripture is wonderful, isn't it? So meaningful and so practical. I believe that the scripture has one meaning but several applications. Today we are going to apply this this familiar story so that it will help us become more willing to remove the mask that you and I occasionally wear. Did you see what happened to Ananias and his wife? They were wearing masks. They wanted everyone to see what they wanted them to see. And the problem was, Peter saw through their mask. Are you here this morning wearing a mask? I want you to remove the mask. Be real and be you. But you're saying, I can't take off my mask. What will people think about me if they knew what I was really like? Let me give you some facts about yourself that might make removing the mask a little easier. Have you ever worn a mask before? It can be fun to put on a mask and act like someone else. But why do people wear masks? To look like someone or something else? To be accepted by our peers? A mask hides what you really look like. We all have worn a mask in our lifetime, or maybe we are still wearing one. 
I don't mean a real mask over our face though. Sometimes we act a certain way so that we will think that we are better than we really are. We come to church saying the right things, sing loud and act like a follower of Jesus, but it's just really a mask that we are wearing. God wants us to be unmasked for him. But to understand why we need to remove our mask, we need to ask two important questions. Who am I? And who am I created to be? There are only two purposes of wearing a mask. One, to, to change your identity. At church, you look like a Christian around non-Christians. You blend in just fine, so you wear a mask to fit in. And like a chameleon, you secure your mask in a place because you want to blend into your surroundings. Two, to hide your identity. You don't want people to see the real you, so you put on a mask as a way of hiding who you really are. Let me tell you true truths about the mask you are wearing. 1. None of the masks I wear are remotely close to who I am. And 2. None of the masks I wear are remotely close to who God wants me to be. The fact is, you are not perfect, and furthermore, you will never be perfect. I know this comes as a shock to you. Sin is ugly and embarrassing. Sin is a blemish we don't want to face. Sin is a stain on our new shirt that we are trying to cover over. We don't want anyone else to see it. So what do we do? We hide it. We are all sinners. Or if someone had just shared this thought with Ananias and his wife Sapphira, their story would have had a much different ending. Trying to mask the ugliness of sin. Ananias and Sapphira were not perfect, so Ananias and Sapphira overcompensated. They did something so generous and wonderful that they were hoping to get recognition and praise. And so they had this scam that would still leave them some money, but also make them appear holy in the eyes of everyone at the church. Sin is ugly, and because it's so ugly, many of us try to hide it. We need to know that we are not perfect people. I think we know this in our head, but do we know it in our hearts? Christians have this strange idea that when we walk through the door on Sabbath morning, we better have it all together. Your hair better be spiffed and gelled, your clothes better look presentable, your kids better not make a peep. You better have a smile on your face, and for goodness sake, you better not come forward at invitation time because then people just might know that you aren't perfect. Let me share an illustration with you. Mark Yaconili in his book Messy Spirituality has to say this. For a period of time we were lucky to have a housekeeper. She would come in once a week to dust, vacuum and clean every little thing out of the corner of our house. I dreaded the day she came because my wife and I would spend all morning cleaning the house for the housekeeper. We didn't want the house to be dirty or what would the housekeeper think? He continues to write. We act the same way with God. We talk our way out of the spiritual life by refusing to come to God as we are. Instead, 
we decide to wait until we are ready to come to God as we aren't. We decide that the way we lived yesterday, last week or last year, makes us damaged goods. And that until we start living right, you are not really the kind of material that God is looking for. Some of us actually believe that until we choose the correct way to live, we aren't choosable. That until we clean up the mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. The opposite is true. Until we admit that we are a mess, and we won't have any God won't have anything to do with us. Once we admit how unlovely we are, how unattractive we are, how lost we are, Jesus shows up unexpectedly. According to the New Testament, Jesus is attracted to the unattractive. He prefers the lost over the found ones, the losers over the winners, the broken instead of the whole, the messy instead of the unmessy, and the crippled instead of the non-crippled. Isn't this what Jesus himself taught? It is the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. It's time we put to practice. First John chapter 1 verses 8 to 10 has to say, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us for our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his words have no place in our lives. You may not say this with your mouth that you're not a sinner, but with your actions and attitude, you are not perfect. Let us take off the mask with one another and be real. Take off the mask. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everyone. We just looked at the fact that we are not perfect and we need to accept this. Another fact about yourself that might make removing the mask a little easier is that you do not have all the answers. Fact number two. It's okay to admit you need help. It's okay to not have it, have it all together. Listen to what Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Lean on God. So when you're struggling and life is tough, lean on your own strength. Lean on your own knowledge. Lean on pretending that everything is okay. No, lean on the Lord. God is big, and compared to the universe, compared to things even in this world, I am small. Lean on God's provisions. God is the God who provides. When life seems to be coming unraveled, you need to get help. Help can come in various forms. Friends and family, your Sabbath school teachers, ministers, elders, counselors, and preachers. But, you need, but your help should always be based on God's word. So take off the I know it all, I have it all figured out, life is so simple, I have it managed max, and realize that you do not have all the answers. And here's the encouraging thing. You do know the one who does. You know the one who does have it all figured out. Fact number three, you aren't like everyone else. We want to wear a mask to fit in. So we have this idea about what a Christian is supposed to look like, and we put on the Christian mask. However, the Bible is filled with persons who God loved bare, faulty, and unmasked. Noah was a drunk. 
Abraham was a lion, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a con man, Leah was ugly, Joseph was amused, Moses had a stuttering problem, Gideon was afraid, Samson had long hair and was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremiah and Timothy were too young, David had an affair, was a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Isaiah preached naked, Jonah ran away from God, Naomi was a widow, <laughs> Job went back rub. John the Baptist ate bugs, Peter denied Christ, the disciples fell asleep while praying, Martha worried about everything, the Samaritan woman was divorced more than once, Zacchaeus was too small, Paul was too religious, Timothy had an ulcer, and Lazarus, he was dead. So listen, you are unique. Unique. Let me ask you, what motivated Ananias and Sapphira to come up with this scheme? For your answer, you need to flip back to the end of Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. For as long as I read, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Sapphira, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The Barnabas effect. Barnabas had just sold some land and gave all the money from the land to the church. They saw how much praise and attention Barnabas was receiving, and they wanted what he was getting. So they invented this scheme to look like Barnabas. The problem was, they weren't Barnabas, and no matter how hard they tried, they were never going to be Barnabas. The danger of imitation. There comes a real danger imitating someone's actions when you haven't imitated Jesus' heart. You get counterfeit. Christianity, you go through the motions without really meaning it. Jesus had plenty to say about those who were acting. In Matthew 6, Jesus is pre preaching his famous sermon on the side of a mountain. He gives a warning to those who are just going through the actions, trying to be like everyone else. He calls them hypocrites. The word hypocrites appears 17 times in the New Testament. All 17 times it is used by Jesus. In Matthew 6, verse 2, Jesus warns against giving just to be seen by everyone. In Matthew 6, verse 5, Jesus warns against praying just to be seen by men. And in Matthew 6, verse 16, Jesus warns against fasting for the attention of everyone else. Jesus makes it plain that those who just go through the motions of being holy just to be recognized by men have already received their reward in full. Have you ever tried to imitate the spiritual actions of someone else? How did that work out for you? Imagine this happening to you. One Sabbath morning during a service, a 2,000 member congregation was surprised to see two men enter, both covered head to toe in black carrying some machine guns. One of the men proclaimed, anyone willing to take a bullet for Christ, remain where you are. Immediately, the crowd fled, the deacons fled, and most of the congregation fled. Out of the 2,000, there only remained around 20. 
The man who spoke and took off his hood looked at the preacher and said, Okay, pastor, I got rid of all the hypocrites. Now you may begin your sermon. Have a nice day. And the two men turned and walked out. I liked what Mr. Reese has to say in his commentary on Acts. He says, Hypocrisy is play acting. Hypocrisy consists in attempting to imitate the people of God or to assume the appearance of being religious without actually surrendering wholly to the will of God. Realize that you are not like everyone else, so stop trying to be. We are all at different spiritual levels. Some are more mature than others. If you are not as far along in your faith as someone else, that's okay. Faith takes time to grow. Take off the mask and be you. And to those who are more spiritually mature, you need to give grace to those who may not be as far as long as you are. Good day, good day. The story is told of a little boy who wanted to meet God. He knew it was a long trip to where God lived, so he packed his suitcase with Twinkies and a six-pack of root beer, and he started his journey. When he had gone about three blocks, he met an old man. He was sitting in the park, just staring at some pigeons. The boy sat ne down next to the man and opened his suitcase. He was about to take a drink from his root beer when he noticed the old man looked hungry, so he offered him a Twinkie. He gratefully accepted it and smiled. His smile was so pleasant that the boy wanted to see it again, so he offered him a root beer. Again, he smiled at him. The boy was delighted. They sat there all afternoon, eating and smiling, but they never said a word. As it grew dark, the boy realized how tired he was, and he got up to leave. But before he had gone more than a few steps, he turned around, ran back to the old man, and gave him a hug. He gave him the biggest smile ever. When the boy opened the door to his house, a short time later, his mother was surprised by the look of joy on his face. She asked him, What did you do today that made you so happy? He replied, I had lunch with God. But before his mother could even respond, he added, You know what? He's got the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. Meanwhile, the old man, also radiant with joy, returned to his humble home. His son was stunned by the look of peace on his face. He asked, Dad, what did you do today that made you so happy? He replied, I ate Twinkies in the park with God. However, before his son even responded, he added, you know, he's much younger than I expected. Too often, we underestimate the power of a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring. You are an unfinished product. Take off your mask. It's okay. We know God's not finished making you into the person he wants you to be. If we were to conduct one-on-one -on -one interviews with everyone present here today, and I was to ask you this question, even if I was going to ask myself this question, are you satisfied with your spiritual life? In other words, are you satisfied with where you are at today in regards to your spiritual growth? I have a sneaking suspicion that the massive majority would say no. I would say too, so yeah. And that's okay, because you understand that becoming Christ-like is a never-ending journey. So go on, take it off, 
the mask you're wearing. Show us how far you've come, but mostly show us how far you have to go. Show us the real you. You are a masterpiece in making. The Bible has much to say about being unfinished. Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You're not done yet. You're not quite baked all the way. Through your still gooey in the middle, but give it some time. You'll become who he made you to be. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of what which Christ Jesus took hold of me. No matter how much we have grown, we still need to grow more. No matter how mature we are, we will never stop maturing. And no matter how unspiritual we are, as long as we need to grow more, Jesus will show up in the life of even the messiest disciples. I want to end with a story that Mark Iaconelli shares in his book, Messy Spirituality. Every month, the youth group at River Road Church visited the Holcomb Manor, a local nursing home, to hold church services for the residents. Daryl, a reluctant youth group volunteer, did not like nursing homes for a time, for a long, long time. He avoided it monthly. So, but when a flu epidemic depleted the group of the group of sponsors, Daryl agreed to help with the next month's program service, as long as he did not have to be a part of the program. By the way, warning, this is a very sad story, so yeah. During the service, Daryl felt awkward and out of place. He leaned against the back wall between two residents in wheelchairs. Just as the service finished, and Daryl was thinking about a quick exit, someone grabbed his hand. Startled, he looked down and saw a very old and frail and obviously lonely man in a wheelchair. What could, what could Daryl do but hold the man's hand? The man's mouth hung open, and his face held no expression. Daryl doubted whether he could hear or see anything. As everyone began to leave, Daryl realized he didn't want to leave the old man. Daryl had been left too many times on his own. Caught somewhat off guard by his feelings, Daryl leaned over and whispered, oh, I'm sorry, I have to leave, but I'll be back, I promise. Without warning, the man squeezed Daryl's hand and let go. As Daryl's eyes filled with tears, he grabbed his stuff and started to leave. Inexplicably, he heard himself say to the old man, I love you. And he thought, where did that come from? What the, what's the matter with me? Daryl returned the next month and the month after that. Each time, it was the same. Daryl would stand to the back. Oliver would grab his hand. Daryl would say he had to leave. Oliver would squeeze his hand. And Daryl would softly say, I love you, Mr. Leek. As the months as the months went on, about a week before the nursing home service, Dad would find himself looking forward to visiting his aged friend. 
on Daryl's sixth visit. The service started, but all of us still hadn't been wheeled out. Daryl didn't feel too concerned at first, because it often took the nurses a long time to wheel everyone out. But halfway into the service, Daryl became the alarm. He went to the nurse. Um, I don't see Mr. Lee here today. He's okay? The nurse asked Daryl to follow her and led him into room 27. Oliver laid in his bed, his eyes closed, his breathing uneven and labored. At 40 years of age, Dal had never seen someone die, but he knew that Oliver was near death. Slowly, he walked to the side of the bed and grabbed Oliver's hand. When Oliver didn't respond, tears filled Daryl's eyes. He knew he might never see Oliver again. He had so much he wanted to see, but the words wouldn't come out. He stayed with Oliver for about an hour. Then the youth director gently interrupted to see they were leaving. Daryl stood and squeezed Mr. Leek's hand for the last time. I'm sorry, Oliver. I have to go. I love you. As he unclasped his hands, he felt a squeeze. Mr. Leek had responded. He had squeezed Daryl's hand. The tears were unstoppable now, and Daryl stumbled toward the door, trying to regain his composure. A young woman was standing at the door, and Daryl almost bumped into her. I'm sorry, he said. I didn't see you. It's all right. I've been waiting to see you. I'm Oliver's granddaughter. He's dying, you know, she said. Yes, I know. I wanted to meet you. When the doctor said he was dying, I came immediately. We have always been very close. This, they said he couldn't talk, but he's been talking to me. Not much, but I know what he's saying. Last night, he woke up. His eyes were bright and alert. He looked straight into my eyes and said, Please say goodbye to Jesus for me. And he laid back down and closed his eyes. He caught, all, he caught me off guard. And as soon as I gathered my composure, I whispered to him, Grandpa, I don't need to say goodbye to Jesus. When you see him, you can tell him hello. Grandpa struggled to open his eyes again. This time, his face lit up with a smile. And he said, as clearly as I'm talking to you, I know, but Jesus comes to see me every month, and he might not know I've gone. He closed his eyes again and hasn't spoken since. I told the nurse what he said, and she told me about you. Coming every month, holding Grandpa's hand, I wanted to thank you for him, for me. And well, I never thought of Jesus as being as chubby and bald as you. But I imagine that Jesus is very glad to have you be mistaken for him. I know Grandpa is. Thank you. Oliver Leek died peacefully the next morning. If a reluctant follower like Daryl can be mistaken for Jesus, maybe you all can too. So I want to ask you again this morning, who are you? Who has God created you to be? We come now to our time of decision. Won't you decide today to remove your mask and be real? Now we have to pray. Everyone stand to pray.